Well, good evening. It's Wednesday night again. We're glad that you've uh, uh, joined us for our Wednesday night Bible study and, and prayer time. Um, you've probably heard the report from the governor uh, that uh, we'll be moving into phase one uh, in as far as restarting the world uh, because of the pandemic on the 15th. Uh, and so you're... Um, seeing uh, this broadcast uh, on Wednesday night the 13th and so we're, we're we're planning on that so we'll be making plans to do that uh, with the guidelines that we have to operate under because our plan is to follow uh, the CDC guidelines and the governmental guidelines for phase one opening uh, that's going to take a little bit of preparation for us as a congregation of our size to be able to pull that off effectively so that everybody understands what we're doing and uh, we'll, we'll be communicating that and thinking through exactly how we're going to do that. So stay tuned. Um, we uh, probably will not be able to uh, pull this off uh, uh, the Sunday, this coming Sunday, or perhaps even by the next Sunday. But stay tuned. We'll be communicating with the church uh, as quickly as we work out the details as, as to how that's going to to take place but we want to be regathering as quickly as possible and uh, as safely as possible and so the uh, be, be on the lookout for that we are continuing our study uh, of uh, God's paradoxes man's desires and God's paradoxes tonight um, I want to remind you again what a paradox is a, a paradox is a tenet contrary to common opinion it's a statement that is seemingly contrary or opposed to common sense, but it is uh, yet it is true. Now, the Bible has a lot of these kinds of things in it. The uh, Bible very clearly says that the way God thinks and the way God uh, looks at the reality is quite different than the way that man thinks and the way that man looks at reality. And so we are trying to understand that on some of the fundamental desires of human beings, we tend to assume that the way that we look at it is the correct way uh, when oftentimes the way that we think is the correct way is actually opposed to God's way. The book of Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to us but in the end it leads to destruction because it is not God's way. And so we've been looking at these desires and the paradoxes, what is simile contradictory or contrary to common sense um, and uh, yet they are true. So we're, we're looking at tonight the paradox uh, of the desire to be great and powerful. Uh, now you may think that, well, I don't have that desire to be great and powerful, but when you get right down to it, most of us at some point in our life, maybe most of our life, want to be significant. We want to make our mark on the world in some way. And it may not be to be a powerful political figure or something like that, but we want to be successful. Uh, we, we, people will, will spend their lives striving for it. We, we, we spend money on it. We educate uh, money on it. Uh, we, we invest in our children. We want them to be happy. We want them to be successful. There really is a desire to be, to be a powerful and an and a, and a, uh, effective person uh, in different ways, but that's still a basic desire. And so tonight we're going to be looking at that desire because uh, I think you're going to find that our desire to be uh, powerful and to be significant and to be great, uh, the way we have understood that we accomplish that 
is actually quite different than what God says that we're to do. We have a great story in Scripture uh, about that very thing, and it takes place between uh, Jesus and his disciples, uh, and it, it addresses this very point, and it talks about God's uh, desires or God's ways of accomplishing this and man's way. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. The, the uh, passages will also come up on the screen. But we're going to read this story of a, of, a, of, an altar, of a conversation and a situation that arose between Jesus and his disciples. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus uh, replied, You do not know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be their slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now that situation and that story specifically addresses the issue of wanting to be great. So what we have here, let's talk about the context for a second. We have a mother's desire. This mom of James and John, sons of Zebedee, um, she had the desire that her boys would hold a position of prominence in, in the, the Lord's kingdom. Um, most parents want what's best for their kids. They want their kids to be successful. The sons have a desire. They had a desire to hold a place of greatness and hold a place of prominence in the Lord's kingdom. And it also says in this conversation that the rest of the disciples, they were indignant about the request of the brothers. It doesn't say exactly why they were indignant, but it's kind of fun to, 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 to speculate. Um, if you were a disciple hearing this taking place, and you got mad about it, in fact, you got very mad about it, in fact, you were indignant about it, and you were really ticked off, at the brothers. Why would you be that way? We know that the emotion of anger, the emotion of indignation is caused by a, an expectation that is unmet or a right that has been violated. You've heard me say this many times. A person can't get angry. They can't feel the emotion of anger unless an expectation they have has been violated or not met or a right that they have has been violated. So something made the disciples angry. It's interesting that they just speculate about what that was. Two possibilities exist, I think, that are quite likely. Uh, the, the disciples were indignant and angry at the brothers because they had an expectation that uh, of something else in the kingdom, and these guys 
uh, were going to be over them. If Jesus granted this request, then these two guys would be over them. And so the expectation or the right of, of whatever rights they were going to have in the kingdom might be violated that way. And they were, and they were feeling indignant because of it. But the other possibility is, is that they were indignant because James and John and Mom got to Jesus first with their request first and they, and they beat them to the punch because the, the disciples might have wanted to have their own uh, opportunity to make their request. So that was, the, that was the desires that were involved. Now, what is the model that is, that is uh, be, being presented here? Jesus talked about the, 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 the model of, uh, of people of power and greatness in the world. He, he, had, he had several oper uh, types of examples. I mean, people, the guys were perfectly aware of it, uh, of great people in the world. There, there were, there were the, the uh, uh, political leaders, the Romans. Uh, they certainly influenced, um, and they dealt cruelly and harshly in their government. So you had the Romans, you had Herod, all those kinds of things. And political figures, they were... The disciples were quite familiar with earthly authorities. He had the religious leaders uh, that uh, the the that held authority over the Jewish uh, temple, and 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 they they were proud, and the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious elite, and they and they projected their authority and imposed their interpretation of the of the law. And so the disciples were quite familiar with uh, with with the. Uh, the systems of authority that that existed, they were they were well versed in it. They uh, they, they they blistered and they chafed under the the actions and the work of these uh, of these leaders. Um, possibly they thought, well, if we were in charge, we wouldn't we wouldn't act like that. You know, you know, and they had a, had a puffed up perhaps a puffed up opinion of themselves and they said you know you know if we were in charge we we wouldn't be that way um, Chuck Colson a, a very uh, prominent Christian thinker uh, says that the worldly power uh, is not inherently uh, evil but he said that worldly power is not inherently evil but it is it is inherently corrupting unlimited power tends to corrupt people and so the paradox is, is that do, Jesus said, do you want to be great? Do you want to be something? Then you must become a servant. Uh, and that is the, the paradox that we're looking at today. So let's, let's look at the, the, the things that uh, talk about being a servant and what we need to do and what we need to think about from the standpoint of God's understanding of, what it, of how a person becomes great and powerful and uh, how it is different than ours. We're going to be looking at uh, the, the, the issues involved in that. So, some things to understand about power and authority. Number one is that the desire to be great and powerful, this desire is not inherently wrong. All right? uh, Jesus asked the disciples, are you prepared to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Now, most people would, would, would interpret that, are you prepared to suffer and die and all those kinds of things, and it certainly would include that. But, uh, but he also was saying that I am going to be, uh, I, I, will, I will be given the kingdom of God and I, and I will rule it. And so part of the cup that Jesus was going to drink after his resurrection, when the kingdom of God was established uh, under, his, under his rule on earth, 
was that he would sit in authority. That would be part of the cup that he's going to drink. And so he's going, he's asking these disciples, are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to sit in authority as well as suffer the kinds of things that I'm going to do? And they said, we are. We, you bet, sure thing. And then Jesus, in a very, it's a very sobering statement when he says, you will surely drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And so we need to understand that there are, you know, Jesus has told us, we're told later on in, in the Bible that as believers, we're going to rule with Christ on earth when he returns and sets up his earthly kingdom. So there's going to be authority and there's going to be positions of, of, of power and what have you that belongs not only to these disciples but any follower of Christ. Uh, we are told that we will rule with him. So that, that is a, that is a uh, important understanding that is in the, in the context of what we're talking about here. So the desire to be great and powerful is not inherently wrong. It becomes a problem though. It becomes a problem when we confuse power and authority. Two different things. Okay, so what is power and authority? Power. Power is the ability to affect one's ends or pursue or purposes in the world. Power is, the, is my ability to affect my ends and to affect my purposes in the world and it is often maintained by force. That's what Jesus was talking about when he says these powerful people that I'm describing, they exercise power, they're in positions of authority, but they exercise that authority through power and they lord it over you. They, they, they use coercion and they use power and they use uh, force to lord it over you and you as they recipient of that, blister under that, and, and, and chafe under that. So that's power. So what is authority? Authority is having the right to affect one's ends and purposes on this earth, but it springs from a system of authority established by God. Now you may never have heard authority defined that way, but authority is the right to exercise uh, my purposes and my ends in this earth, but, but it, it, it springs, the authority comes from systems of authority that have been established by God. So what are those systems of authority? There are basically four described in Scripture. I'm going to show you the, the, the slide here with that. It's got Scripture references on it. We're not going to turn to all those. We don't have time to do all that. But, but these are the four systems of authority that exist. God created systems of authority. The one, these aren't in any particular order, okay? I, I could have put them in the order in which they are mentioned in Scripture, which would be the order in which they were created. If that was the case, then family would be the first one, okay? So uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, putting these on the screen in order in which they are first mentioned in Scripture, but there, but there are four um, systems of authority. One is government. The Bible says that God has established government for, for certain purposes. All right, so governmental authority is a system of authority. Family. God has established the family as a system of authority and has certain functions within the system of authority. One is employment. Okay, now in the New Testament, this, this principle of employment uh, is, is talked about in the terms of slaves and masters, okay? Uh, so, you know, we're not advocating that slavery is a moral thing, it should be, but it, it, is, it is in the system of employment and how people make their living back and forth. So you have masters, you have slaves, you have employers, you have employees systems of employment. And the other is the church. 
the church is established by God with a, as a system of authority to function and, and, and use the authority that, that has been given to the church in certain ways. So those are the four systems of authority. And those are legitimate authorities that, that, have, that have the ability to exercise uh, and to, be, to, to affect ends and purposes for which they have been created and to exercise the authority for which they've been given. So, not, not, not inherently, uh, this, this desire is not inherently sinful, but, it, but it, it, it becomes a problem when we confuse power and authority. So understanding systems of authority uh, and, and versus power, I want to give you some principles. Uh, I'll call them these things food for the soul. So I'll uh, give you some principles to, to, to think about uh, in, in uh, applying this teaching on God's desire regarding being great and powerful. First one is for those who are in authority. If, 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 you, if you hold a position or you hold a place that is a place of authority within God-given systems. You're a governmental leader. You are a leader of your family. You are a, you're a leader of, of, in your job. And you're a leader in the church. Okay, For those in authority, how do those folks exercise their authority? They exercise it in love. They do justice. They protect. They lead. They serve. And they do not exert coercive power. A person in authority has the ability to exert coercive power. Now exercising authority is not necessarily uh, when, it, when a parent exercises authority with the children and there is discipline and there is punishment and those kinds of things. That's not particularly pleasant. Okay, uh, But it is, it is something that has been given to them as their authority. What we need to be sure of is that we're not doing that with coercive power. That's why that the Bible tells for the family, it says, uh, uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children and embitter them. Husbands, do not, do not embitter your wives because that is exercising the authority that God has given people in these, in this case the, the husbands and the fathers, in the family can be exercised with with coercive power, and we're not to do that. So we're, we're to exercise our uh, authority and love and justice and to protect and to lead and to serve, but not exercise it in coercive power. And then number two, for those who are under authority. People in these authoritative systems that God has set up, there are those in authority, and there are those who are under authority. Those under authority, they are to obey. They are to subordinate themselves. They are to yield to the authority, and they are to submit to them. Now, when you're the one under authority, that goes against your grain. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute, a little, a little bit more. But when, when we're talking about people who are under authority, then, then the, we are called in to submit and yield to them. And we're to do that willfully and joyfully. Uh, to understand that we're submitting to the authority is a proper function and a proper way that, uh, that, that God would have us to be great and powerful. All right? Now, the, the other... Uh, the next food for the soul, the principle, is influence and power when it is willfully yielded is better than when it is grudgingly given. When you're a person under authority, influence and power when it is willfully yielded to is better than when it is grudgingly given. We have heard a lot about this very thing with all of this 
social distancing and CDC guidelines and governors and presidents putting forth these controls, I have heard a lot of grousing. I've heard a lot of complaining. I've heard a lot of, of uh, response from those of us who are under the authority. Now, we've got to understand something. We're under the authority of governmental uh, folks in authority. God has established government as a system of authority to do certain things within certain parameters. But I have heard a lot of complaining and questioning and wondering and, and just basically griping about the kinds of, of restrictions and the kind of stay-at-home orders and social distancing and whether to wear a mask and don't wear a mask and all these kinds of things that seem to limit our understanding of our freedom. And yet, when we are dealing with, unless the governmental authority or unless the, the, the God-ordained authority is violating the, the, uh, the exercise of their authority, is violating a command of God, then we are called to, as well as under authority, to yield to it. And uh, that's why that as, we, as we reopen and as we begin to regather, our plan is to regather in phase one under the phase one guidelines of the government. Now, the principle here is that we're not going to be doing that grudgingly. We're not going to be doing that gripingly. I'm going to put a challenge out to the church is that there's going to be some things that are going to be a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit inconvenient and those kinds of things as we begin to regather. But I'm, going to, I'm putting out to the church now that as a person who is desiring to be great, desiring to be powerful, even, even self-powerful, as we, as we regather, our plan is to regather under the, the phase one regathering guidelines. Now, it's going to be up to you as the individual to decide, I'm going to... I'm going to to blister at that, I'm going to gripe at that, I'm not going to like the convenience, I'm not going to like it, it's going to be inconvenient. All those kinds of things are going to be a temptation for you to not function under authority. I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. Okay? And so we, we are going to attempt, because there's been no attempt by the government made to, to keep and aimed at the church and aimed at the Christians to persecute us. There's been no attempt made for that. It's, it's been inconvenient. And those kinds of things. So, for the desire to be great and powerful, for those under authority, we are to yield. For those in authority, they're to do what's do, uh, exercise the authority for the good of those that they're in authority over, and not exercise power. Uh, there, there has been so, so far. There has been restraint on the part of the government in those kinds of things. So, when we yield to the exercise of authority by legitimate authorities in our life, that's much better and we get the grace of God, and there's much more contentment when we do that. The last uh, thing I want you to ponder about, number four, is therefore if we want to have power and influence, I must respond correctly to those in authority over me. I must re relate correctly to those subordinate to me. Regardless of my position, I must function with a servant's heart. God's desires for us to meet the legitimate desire to be self-sufficient, to be to be great and powerful, to be uh, to be significant, those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with that as long as we don't confuse power and authority and that when we understand authority that we respond to it correctly. 
If I'm going to have power and authority and influence, I must respond correctly to those in authority over me. I must relate correctly to those I'm sub who are subordinate to me. And regardless of my position, I'm to function with a servant's heart. Think about that one as we move into phase one and as we begin to regather and respond to the phase one uh, guidelines that have been set up. Uh, and we'll, we will... Um, it would be much better if we can do that joyfully and patiently and, uh, and, and do it as unto the Lord. Okay, well, we'll see you again next week. Have a good evening, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye.